Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. Ephesians 6 verse 4. And tonight I'm going to preach on rebellious children. Two weeks ago I started this verse and I preached on fathers. The importance of fathers, fatherhood, fatherscop. And tonight, rebellious children, God willing, next week on biblical discipline. And then the week after will be on family worship. Let us know we heard on, about this on the camp. We had sessions on that. Um, so I hope it won't be just a repeat of what Jacques said. But obviously there will be overlap. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then hear his word. Heavenly Father, we draw near to the throne of grace once more as children of the living God. And as we sang now, Lord, that is a hard thing to sing. I surrender all. And yet, that is what you ask of us. For you say, if we do not surrender all, if we are not willing to give up everything to follow you, we are not worthy of being your disciples. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us grace to surrender all indeed, not certain parts of our life, because the teaching of Scripture basically is, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. And so help us to submit to you, to bow the knee, and to follow Christ with everything, and to love you more than we love even our own lives. And Tonight as we come to your word, although in a certain way this is maybe not applicable to all because not everyone has children, but as Amelia prayed in the prayer room, maybe in a different context, but Lord, all of us, either we have brothers or sisters or cousins or grandchildren, or in some way we are involved as a congregation in the lives of parents and to help them to see the importance of being biblical parents. And also helping friends and family who have rebellious children. That we can encourage them from your word and show them from your word what you teach. And then for those who have children who have left the house already and are rebellious. I do pray that you would give them grace as, the wound, as, as your word comes tonight like a sword and it will wound. But we also pray that it will heal through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this happens to parents that as their children leave the home, some parents are shocked. I don't know if either you've experienced this or seen this happen. Parents are shocked. Their kids go to university and they say, what? What happened now? Now all of a sudden my kid rejects the Bible and my child says, I, I no longer believe in God, and they become rebellious. And they think it's the university's fault, and they think it's the bad friends they've met at university, it's their fault, but very often the parents stand guilty. The parents stand guilty because they forget rebellion is part of a child's nature. Like Psalm 51 says, I was born in sin, 
I was conceived in iniquity. So, so van geboorte af, eindelijk voor geboorte, we are born sinners, we are born with a rebellious nature against God, and parents are supposed to try and uh, curb that and hold that back. Nee, om het teer te werk, and work against that rebellion by bringing the gospel, by bringing biblical discipline, by bringing biblical teaching, and setting a good example, and so on. And if parents don't do that, then they're actually encouraging children in rebellion. Maybe not knowingly, so it is talk onwetend, but you're encouraging children to be rebellious. And what happens then is, when that child becomes a teenager or goes off to university, suddenly they're rebellious. But it's not sudden. Actually, that has been brewing and stewing in the heart for years. And many parents, it's cute when the two-year-old does this to you and say, hey, and he sticks his finger up your nose. And to tell you do this or that, and, he, and, and you know, be oh cute, look, he's, it's not cute. That's a baby lion. Uh, and he's got the nature of a lion, he's going to kill someday. He can't kill yet, he's too small. Vodi Bakum said in a sermon not long ago, he said, oh, babies are so cute. Uh, and he can't even talk yet, and he, he stiffens his back eh, when he doesn't get what he wants, and he cries lying on the carpet. And then Vodi said in that sermon, he said, it's a good thing God made, made babies cute. Or it's a good thing God made babies small. Otherwise, they would kill you if you don't give them what they want. And it's a good thing you made them cute. Otherwise, you would kill them. <laughs> uh, Ted Tripp tells a story of a, a boy. And he, see, he's, he said that he saw this happen where this boy, his dad scolded him. And his dad, um, in front of other kids, embarrassed him. And the, bad, the dad would force him to obey. You're going to do this now and in front of the friends at church. And you could see the anger on the kid's face, but he's small, so he can't do anything. And when that child got big enough, he rebelled. But that rebellion has been there, and the dad actually just encouraged the child to be a rebel. So very often, parents, parents are the culprits. Over the by the culprit when it comes to child and teenage rebellion. And yes, we understand. We understand the sin is in the child's own heart. The parents don't put it there, but you shouldn't put a stick in the bee's nest. You're provoking the bees to anger. And you push the wrong buttons and you know that's going to make your child angry. And that's what parents often do. Now, in our verse, Ephesians 6 verse 4, where it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Um, that in the Greek, that is a continuous tense. That means parents often, they continue doing it. It's not a once-off thing and then the child becomes rebellious. It's, it comes years and years, they continue provoking. And that is why Paul tells us here, don't make your children angry. Don't irritate them. Don't frustrate them. Because you do that now and it keeps on and keeps on and suddenly that rebellion just breaks out. And it ends in full-on rebellion. Now, why does that happen? Why does that happen in verse four, uh, uh, 6 verse 4? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Why do children become rebellious? You know why? Because the second part of the verse doesn't happen. The second part of the verse, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you do not bring your children up in the discipline of the Lord and the instruction of the Lord, then the first part of the verse is going to happen. You provoking them to anger. They will very probably become rebellious. Okay, so 
we can look at a number of kinds of parents and kinds of things parents do that cause children to become rebellious. The first one is partial parents of partijdigheuers. That just means that uh, you're showing favoritism. You track in van die kinders voor. I remember a, a case where, and I knew this young man, where his grandmother, she bought clothes and presents for two of the grandchildren, but not for him. And that made him angry. And it wasn't the only reason he became rebellious, but that was one of the reasons. It's like the risings in his heart of rebellion. Why, why does she show favor to these two grandkids? You remember the story of Joseph and his brothers, right, in Genesis 37. Same kind of thing. So Jacob, that's a very foolish thing to do. Jacob buys a gift just for Joseph, this multicolored coat he has, technicolored dream coat. And so Joseph has it, and the, and the other brothers, they become jealous. We have to work out in the field. We have to stand in the sun, taking care of sheep and goats. And you sitting in the tent all day, and Dad gives you that. And they become jealous and bitter and angry, and they hate Joseph. And you know what happens in the end is they thought of murdering him, but they didn't. Then they sell him into slavery. So where do I get this in the verse? I get it from this word. Fathers, do not provoke your children plural, to anger, but bring them up, them, plural. So in other words, treat all your kids the same. There. All your kids the same. There's the same standard for all the kids. All of you will be brought up in the discipline of the Lord. All of you will be brought up in the instruction of the Lord. Because as soon as you show more love and you give more attention to one kid than the other children in the home, then, and, and Worse, even if you, if you start comparing children and saying, why are you not more like your brother? Why can your brother be neat but you can't? Why can your sister do good at school and she's good at math and she brings home a good report? Why can your brother be good at sport but you can't? And if you start doing that kind of thing, you're provoking them to anger. You don't have what this verse says, the same standard for all the children. Your children bring them up. But now, no, this child is treated differently from this child and then they, they start rebelling. They start rebelling. Why? Because they want attention. Even if it's negative attention, at least it's attention. And so that's when the school calls you and says, listen, we can't control this kid. But at least they're getting your attention. Second is absent parents. of Absent parents. Now I have to in, hang, hang my head in shame and confess to you tonight that just three weeks ago, one of my kids said, Dad, can I talk to you? I said, yes. And this is like just before bedtime. Yeah? Dad? The kid didn't use these words, but it basically boiled down to this. Please don't work so much. I need you. Whew. And I had to confess my sin and ask for forgiveness, both the Lord's forgiveness and the child's forgiveness. You see, children become rebellious if their parents are absent. And where do I find this in the verse? I find it in verse 4 again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. You bring them up. You bring that child up. And when it says bring them up, that word, it's not only active, meaning you must do it, it is also a continuous tense. You must keep on doing this. Your job as a parent doesn't stop after your kid is now, oh, my child's not a baby anymore. I just did it when they were babies and now I, I give the job to someone else, either TV or friends or the school or the Sunday school or the au pair 
or the, lady, the domestic worker or grandma or grandpa, uh, they bring them up or the crash or I don't know what's a school now, it's not after school. <laughs> what? After care. Thank you. Okay, and so you, you just give the job to someone else. Now, please, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that all those other things I mentioned, I'm not saying that other people can't be involved in helping you. But what I am saying, it's not primarily their responsibility. The primary, the number one responsibility is to you as a parent, fathers and mothers, to raise your children. It is your child. You are responsible for raising that child. Because if you start being absent and you're uninvolved and you give the job to someone else to raise your child, well, then you're going to have a rebellious child. You're going to have children. And I'm not saying in every case. There are exceptions where there are bad parents and the children turn out good. But in general, you're going to have a rebellious child. Why? That child feels rejected. That child feels unloved. And what happens then is when the child rebels, it's like he's screaming out, will someone love me? Now, maybe you say, well, my child knows I love him. Even though I'm absent and I'm uninvolved, my child knows that. I work hard to put food on the table. I buy them everything they want. Your child doesn't see it that way. Your child doesn't want what you can give him. Your child wants you. That child will much rather kick a rugby ball with you every day than you taking him to Goldreef City three times a year. So what I'm trying to say is your child wants quantity time, not quality time. You hear parents talking about this all the time and psychologists and counselors and even pastors saying, oh, you must spend quality time. Forget about quality time. Quality time means, you know, I don't have time for you, but if I, have, uh, if I take you out once in three months, I'm going to spend lots of money. Your child doesn't care about that. Your child wants quantity time. Buy a tape. So American. And they don't just need it when they're small. The Greek word, when it says in verse 4, bring them up, futala op, that Greek word there literally means to bring them up to maturity. Bring them up to vasanate. So that betekens, your job doesn't end. When the child, oh, now you're in prime, now you're a teenager, now you can do it yourself. Your, your job doesn't end when they're teenagers. Uh, teenagers especially, as I found out with with one of my kids, as I just told you. Teenagers especially, they need lots of love and lots of attention and lots of communication. So talk to them lots and lots and lots. It shouldn't happen, and sadly it does. Eh? The teenagers sit in their rooms on their tablets or their phones, and the doors close, and they're there all day. It shouldn't happen. Lots of communication, uh, friendship, and talk lots and talk about everything. Because if you're an absent child, uh, an absent parent, that child will rebel. So if verse 4, second part doesn't happen, bring them up, then the first part's going to happen. You're going to make them angry. And they'll become rebellious. And then, guess who's going to raise your children for you? TikTok. And that'll lead them astray. Number three. Now, hierdie weet ek nie om in Engels te sê nie. Hierdie is Afrikaanse nootas. Sachte ouwers. Kan sê nie sê, soft parents nie. Uh, nee, ek praat nie, ek praat nie van gentle of compassionate. Ek praat van, you too soft. Uh, weak. Thank you. Thank you. Weak parents. Sachte uh, ouwers. So, here's an example. My cousin, many years ago, told me this story. 
And I can't remember did this happen in Australia or here, but she lives in Australia now. But she told this story of a mom visiting her. And the mom's visiting, and the mom's got a little kid, uh, three or four years, I think four years old. And the kid's jumping on my cousin's couches, on the furniture. And the mom, just like she ignores the child, and eventually she turns to the child, the mom, and she says, whatever the kid's name, let's say the kid's name is Abby. Abby, do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing to jump on other people's furniture? Do you want to continue doing it or do you want to stop doing it? And the kid says, I think I must stop doing it. Good choice. And then later on the mom says, right, she cuts the, the child an apple. And the apple, must I cut your apple in four pieces or in eight pieces? What do you choose? And the kid says, mm, eight pieces, please, or eight pieces, mommy. And the mommy says, good choice. That is soft parenting. That is soft parenting because the child does whatever he or she pleases and there are no consequences. And it's that kind of children, they become rebellious. Verse 4 again. Don't provoke them to anger. Where do I get this in the verse? That they'll become rebellious? Well, in the first place, a child's heart is he's born in rebellion. He's born in rebellion against God. He's a sinner from birth. That's why you don't teach them to throw tantrums or to lie or to be selfish. They just know how. It's in them. Uh, Genesis 1, 8 verse 21 says that man's heart is wicked. It's evil from his youth. Or in Psalm 58, verse 3, in the Afrikaans, verse 4, it speaks of the, the wicked. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. So if you don't discipline them, that's the second half of the verse again, bring them up in discipline. If you're not going to discipline them, then the first half of the verse is going to happen. You provoke them to anger. And, and if you don't hold the children back from sin by giving them discipline, then they'll just give themselves over to sin. And they'll rebel. So um, Proverbs 22 verse 15. It says that foolishness is in the heart of a child. Folly. Foolishness is in his heart. But the rod of discipline drives that foolishness out. It drives it far from him. You see, if you don't discipline children, they think they can just continue. There won't be consequences. They continue, continue with their sin. Nothing will happen. And later on when they're older... That's when they come face to face with the law. And then they end in jail, and they sit in jail, and they bitter toward you because you didn't tell them there will be consequences for their actions. You didn't teach them that. So if you want to save your child's life, discipline. Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14 says um, that if you apply the rod, if you apply discipline, it won't kill the child. It'll save his soul from death. If you apply that and disciplined children. Now, children don't enjoy discipline. Uh, we don't enjoy discipline. Children don't enjoy discipline, but it, it helps them to feel safe. It helps them to feel my parent is strong. My dad is strong. My mother is strong. They can protect me. That same arm that can discipline is the arm that can protect. I'll give you an example of this. When Jennifer was probably about uh, four years old, maybe four or five, and she couldn't say R. Uh, so she would say yoy instead of roy. <laughs> and so she was sitting right about there where Amelia is sitting with my brother-in-law. Now I weigh just over 70 kgs. I'm 1.78 or 1.77 or 78 meters, uh, centimeters tall. Uh, for Melvin, that's under six foot. <laughs> All right. 
And as you can see, um, I'm not very fat. My brother-in-law, he weighs over 100 kgs, and he's, he's frisgebo. He's got big muscles, big arms. Uh, he's 1.87 meters tall. And so she sits next to him, Sunday night service, and she sees his big arms because he gyms also. She says, yo, I'm says, But my partner is Gyote. So for the, for the English people who didn't catch that, she said, she said, wow, your muscles are big, but my dad's is bigger. <laughs> and why did she think that? She thought that because her dad disciplines her. And no, it's all right. He disciplines me, but he's also strong. He can protect me when there's danger. You see, discipline, uh, it draws borders. It draws the lines for the child where they know. In that borders, in Binadai Grense, there's safety. And there's love, and there's blessing, and there's prosperity, and there's joy, and there's peace, and so on. I'm not saying that discipline can save your child's soul. I'm not saying that rules can save their soul. What I am saying is that discipline and rules, it pushes them and drives them to Jesus. If you teach them the gospel also, it drives them to Jesus to say, I've got the sin in my life, and I'm disciplined for it. I want to get rid of it. Galatians 3 verse 24, that the law is our schoolmaster to Christ. It, it throws us to Jesus to say, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. Number four, authoritarian parents. Authoritarian parents. I know a man who disciplined his son so strictly and so harshly and so continually, his child rebelled against him. He became a very strong rebel, and he ended in jail, that boy. You see, uh, children, they, they, it's like the rebellion rises inside of them. They become rebellious if you don't do verse 4 properly. Bring them up in the discipline, yes, don't be too soft, but the discipline of the Lord, don't be too hard. It's the discipline of the Lord. What is God's discipline? God's discipline is a loving discipline. It's never separated from love. It's always a patient and a loving discipline. Because if you're too strict, then your child, he becomes hateful of you. He becomes bitter. He becomes angry. Uh, when you lose your temper, you lose your temper when you, when you discipline the child and you, you start abusing him, that poor kid. And you break him, maybe verbal abuse. You stupid child, I wish you were never born. I wish you weren't my child. And that child becomes bitter and angry. He will rebel if you start swearing at him and cursing him and shouting. And I've heard this many parents. You know, it's like we think, I can't just come in here and shout at Gerda or shout at Dunette. You'll, everyone will turn around if I start shouting at, at one of them. I say, what's wrong with him? But then those same people, you, we don't want, you don't want people shouting at you or people shouting at, at people at church, but those same people shout at their children. That is not the biblical way to discipline children. That is too harsh. That is too strict. Ephesians 4 verse 31, let all bitterness, anger, uh, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Clamor means shouting. That is not allowed. Not at church, not in your home. Shouting at children. That is not the way to discipline. To think, well, if I don't shout, they don't listen. Why do you shout? It's because you talk ten times. Instead of talking once, and if they don't obey, disciplining. Rather, we should, we should discipline like Deirdre's friend. 
Deirdre has a friend, and when her children are disobedient, Deirdre has told me, she's actually used these words, so you should see that woman in action. So when those kids, when they were small and they disobedient to the mom, she just calls them, and I'm not going to tell the, their names because some of you know them, so I'm just going to say John, and she says, she says, John, come here, or she walks up to them, John, and then she says, and she just goes down to their level, and she says, you didn't obey mommy. Yes, all right, and then she talks to them. Okay, I need to discipline you. She takes them aside, and she disciplines them. And they come back, and they well-behaved children. But she doesn't lose it. She doesn't lose it. You see, if you shout at your children, you're just going to make them rebellious. Proverbs 15, verse 1. We all know the first part. A gentle answer turns away wrath. What does the second part say? Maar a krenkende woord laat die woede Harsh words stirs up anger. If you harsh to your children in your words, you're making them angry. Stirring up anger. Another way ch- uh, parents are too strict with their children is if you always say no. And why do we say no to our children quickly? Well, you keep on just no for everything. You, again, the anger. You're provoking them to anger. Why do we say no? Uh, many parents just say no. We want, can we have some uh, Malford pudding off the church? No. We're leaving straight after church. We see the child cowering. He wants Malfa pudding. <laughs> um, the reason we say no is because it's easier than saying yes. Because if you say yes, yes, and then you have to get up and go and dish the Malfa pudding. So it's easier to just say no. Say yes lots and lots and lots. Only say no if it's necessary. Only say no if you're going to harm the child by saying yes. Only say no if you really have a good reason for saying no. But in general, say yes. And that also goes for rules. Don't have too many rules. Just rules and rules and rules and rules. God is not like that. You know what God does? He condenses all His rules into ten. So you can count it on ten fingers, the ten commandments. And then He condenses that even to two. Saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Easy to remember. If you have many, many, many rules, the children can't remember them. So less rules is better. Just condense it. What are the important ones? Less house rules. And then that even helps you to remember. Because now you said yes for something and tomorrow you say no. But you said yes yesterday. Oh, well, what are the rules again? You can't even remember the rules. So condense it. Bring it down. Not too strict. Um, and, And don't be consistent. Don't change the rules all the time. Today it's yes for this, tomorrow it's no for that, and you add rules and you take away rules. And later on what your child does, he he becomes rebellious. He he sees rules not as something that is there to protect him. He sees it as this heavy yoke, this heavy burden on his back, and he just wants to get rid of it and get out of the house as soon as possible. Number five, negligent parents. In other words, neglecting what you should do. Negligent parents. Now, if a car's wheel alignment, I don't know much about cars. If a car's, this I know, if a car's wheel alignment is out, what must you do to get get into an accident? Do you need to drive the car off the road? No, just let go of the steering wheel. The car will veer off the road itself. And so you don't need to drive the car off the road. Just let go of the steering wheel. The car will go off the road. You'll be in an accident. And the same thing, you don't need to teach, uh, teach children the wrong things to make them rebellious. 
you just neglect teaching them the right things. You just don't do what verse 4b says. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You neglect instructing your children in the Bible and teaching them the right way and, and having family devotions and sharing the gospel with them and praying with them and bringing them to church, um, that car will go off the road. That car will go off the road. It's like in Psalm 78. Maybe I want to read this to you. Psalm 78. Maybe you want to follow quickly. The Psalm. <clears throat> Psalm 78 verse 3 to 8. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Verse 3, verse 4. <clears throat> we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and His wonders that He has done. He's established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children. Why? That, so that, here's the reason, the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Why? So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Why did that whole generation turn away from God? Their parents never taught them. You see it in the book of Judges, Richters, Wufstuk 2, Judges 2, verse 10 to 12. They didn't teach their children, and their children rebelled. So it's very important that gospel, sharing the gospel, praying for your children, praying with your children, teaching them to pray, teaching them the Bible, coming to church as a family regularly, that must be a normal part of family life. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 49. And the chances are good. You teach your children those ways from young. I'm going to speak on that in two weeks' time. But you teach your children that. Chances are good that they're going to stay on that road and follow the Lord. I'm not saying it's guarantee, it'll guarantee their salvation, but I am saying, very probably, Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Number six, lastly, is <clears throat> hypocritical parents. <clears throat> some, some children or some parents, some parents think that if they teach the Bible to their kids too much, then their kids are going to have this resistance against the Bible and resistance against God. That's not true. That is only true if you teach your children God's word and you don't live it as a parent. Then they're going to rebel and say, you hypocrite, I don't want to be like that. Or I'm going to follow your example in being like that. And where in the verse do I get that? The last part of the verse where it speaks of training them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you don't teach them discipline instruction of the Lord, then the first part of the verse will happen. You're making them angry. You, they're going to be rebels. And, and how can you train your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord if you are not in the Lord? If you're not a Christian, if you're not following the Lord, if you're not serving the Lord Jesus Christ and living for Him? So that child will become rebellious. He's hearing what you're saying, but he's not hearing what you're saying. You're teaching him God's word, but you're not living God's word. 
and that'll make him angry. That's the kind of parent you drop your kids at, at church, but you're not in church. Okay, I'll pick you up later on. You're telling them what's the right thing to do, but you're not doing the right thing yourself. You, you punish your child for throwing a tantrum in the shop, but he sees you losing your temper on the road. <clears throat> you punish him for, for um, challenging your authority. You don't challenge my authority, but you're challenging authority. He sees you the way you, you disobey the, the rules of the land. Uh, for instance, speeding uh, or not stopping at a stoplight at a traffic light. And so you're telling him, don't challenge authority, but you're challenging authority. <clears throat> it's like that story of, of Johnny. You know the story of Johnny where he's still, he's, many of you have heard this, he's, the, the school calls his dad and says, listen, we've got a problem with little Johnny at school. He's, te- he's stealing the other kids' pencils at school. And when, he come, when Johnny comes home, his dad says, Johnny, your teacher phoned me. Why are you stealing the other kids, the children's pencils at school? You shouldn't do that. You should have told me I'll bring you pencils from work. (laughs) You see, a child that that is raised in that kind of environment, they become rebels. Because you're saying things, but you're not doing it. And they don't want to be like you. That's why they're rebellious. I'm going to rebel against everything you say. Or they're going to follow you. They're going to follow your example. And you show them the way of how to be a rebel. You showed them how to say the right things without doing it. <clears throat> now, some, some children, their, their way of showing rebellion is not through being openly rebellious. Their way of, of dealing with these kinds of things I mentioned tonight is by being really depressed and discouraged. Have you heard of children, they're eight years old, kids, and they're depressed? 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds. You've got children and they're struggling with depression. They need to go to a counselor and their parents take them. Very often, this is the reason why. This is not the only reason, but sometimes it's this. The parallel text in Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children. Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Mm. Some kids really become discouraged and depressed. Uh, and the, the word discouraged in Colossians 3, the Greek word there, it speaks of a child, his spirit is broken. You're breaking that child's spirit. He has no motivation, a child like that. He just feels discouraged. He doesn't see any sense to life. There's no purpose in life. And that's what he feels like. And it, it breaks him because his parents are always finding fault with him. He, he can do nothing right in their eyes. I don't know if you know such parents or perhaps you are such a parent. You know, your, your kid comes home with his report and he's got an A-plus for English. Mommy, mommy, look, I've got an A-plus. Yes, what about the other subjects? Why, why have you got a B there? That, that child, you're breaking his spirit. Why not congratulate? Wonderful, I'm so glad you did well. Oh, and the other subjects, that's good. I'm glad for you. No, but breaking the child's spirit or, or uh, the child makes you a birthday card and says, Happy birthday, Dad. You're the best dad in the world. And he had a, has a picture on the front and I did unclear coloring in. And you look at the card. Why did you color over the lines? You're breaking that child's spirit. <clears throat> Makes him, d- discourages him because he can never measure up to your standards. It's like my counseling teacher, my counseling lecturer, Wayne Mack. I remember him telling this story in the class. 
in a counseling class, he said, when he was a kid, um, and he's in high school now, they lived on a farm, and when his dad went to town, he thought, I'm going to do my dad a favor. I'm going to plow the fields, the landeplug. And he got on the tractor and plowed the, the fields, and when his dad came home, he was so chuffed, his dad's going to be happy, and his dad just came, and he looked at the fields, and he said, well, if you decided to plow, you could have least have done it straight. And he walked into the house. That breaks a child's spirit. Teenager, young person, little kid. And it's those kinds of children, they become bitter. They become angry and they become discouraged. Like verse 4 says, provoking them in, in Colossians 3.21, they become discouraged. And they fall in, they, this whole of depression. <clears throat> and, and what happens then when the child becomes depressed what do the parents do? Do they see themselves as the problem? No. They take the kid to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and this little kid, he must be on some form of antidepressants. But they don't, they don't see, yeah, maybe the antidepressants help some of the symptoms and he feels a, a bit better because you have a stimulant, for anti-stimulant. And, but they never get to the root of the problem. And one of the roots of the problem, not the only root, but one of the roots is, is the parents. The parents. This child can't measure up to their standard. They actually want the kid to be like them. And, and the kid is not you. The kid is, he's got his own personality. God created him not to be you. Or on the other hand, some parents, it's like they, they're living their dream through the child. So you must be head girl, and you must be in the top ten academically, and you must win essays. You must have provincial colors in sport. Why? Because I could never do it. And now I'm living my dream through the child. I never accomplished those things. And, and if you have mothers like that, that's the kind of mom that are, those mothers have cat fights at the netball game. It's because they're jealous. It's like, my kid must be the best. How can your kid be the captain? Why is your kid... Whatever. Why is your kid... Uh, why did your kid win the competition? And you got, it's ugly, man. You see parents fighting about grade one kids. There was a story when I was living in Nelspreet, one parent at Biliki Rugby. This is like preschool rugby. The dad got so angry, he got a heart attack next to the field and died because he was so angry shouting because his kid isn't. So that's the kind of moms you get, and then the kinds of dads, that's the kind of dads the man sponsor groot geld, sponsoring the rugby team at the school with lots of money, let's build this for the school, let's sponsor the cricket bats and everything, because they want, actually, it's they living their dream through the child, my kid must be in the first team, and that's the kind of children, and very often those are attractive children, and they sportive children, and they are maybe the head girl, and then you hear she's left, she's now in university, what, she committed suicide. The parents pushing them. Pressure, 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 pressure. John MacArthur tells the story of a young girl who um, she, she landed in an institution, and she was lying there in a padded room so she wouldn't hurt herself, just lying on the floor, shivering, lying on the floor, trembling. The pressure of her mom, the pressure of her dad. She's never good enough. And she did perform well at school and sport and everything, but it's never enough. And she, she wrote to John MacArthur, she said, well, she told him, no matter what I do, it never satisfies my mother. When she came out of that institution, and not long after that, she took her own life. 
Now, I know children are responsible for their own behavior. We can't just always blame shift and say it's the parents. Children are responsible for their own behavior, but it's not right to add fuel to the fire, or fire to the fuel. Hey, and fuel to the fire. It's not right of parents to do that. And maybe you're, you don't, maybe you're not doing that through unrealistic expectations. Maybe you're not doing it that way. Or, or your friends or your uh, family members you know. But maybe it's because of a bad marriage. Sometimes that's a cause. Those children just want to get out of that house. Mom and dad are fighting all the time. They just want to run away. And they become, in some cases, rebellious or in other cases, just discouraged, just depressed. Okay, now, let me put some, some uh, ointment, some salve, salve on the wounds. Some of you sitting here, your kids have left the house a long time ago. Some of you, your kids are still in, in the house. And you're a faithful parent. You do what the Lord asks you to do, and yet you have a rebellious child. What of what cases like that? What do we make of that? What should we say of that? <clears throat> You've done all you can to raise your children in the way God wants you, and they've become rebels. Well, remember, God is a perfect father, and Israel was rebellious. And we are sometimes rebellious as his children. There's nothing wrong with them. The fault's with us. You read that in Jeremiah, where God says, chapter 2, verse 35, verse 3, 7, 28, I disciplined you, but you wouldn't obey. You just didn't care. You kept on rebelling. Now, if you are a parent like that, please don't whip yourself. Don't beat yourself up and say, oh, I'm a terrible parent, and this hasn't gone well for me, as if you can save your child's soul. You can't. God is the Savior. You're not the Savior. You're not responsible in that sense. That's like in Deuteronomy 21, verse 18. It speaks of a rebellious child, but the, children, the parents have done everything they could, and he won't obey. Deuteronomy 24, verse 16 says that children will not be punished for the sin of their parents, and parents will not be punished for the sin of their children. Okay, so remember that also. And ask the Lord then. Ask the Lord, Lord, please change my child's heart. Please save my child. Like Ernest Riesinger. I read a biography of him not long ago, and I, I, I gave some illustrations in sermons recently. But Ernie Riesinger, his, his son rebelled. When his son was an adult already, he was married, he had children. And he cheated on his wife, and the church spoke to him, and his dad spoke to him, and he kept on rebelling. He would not listen. And he left his wife... And the church eventually removed him. They disciplined him, removed him from the church as a member. For 17 years, he rebelled. 17 years. His dad in that time prayed for him. His parents prayed for him. His dad wrote him letters saying, please repent. Please turn back to the Lord. And after 17 years, he did. Another story is William Carey, the, the great missionary to India. And William Carey's son... Yeah. They were on a ship, and the ship sank, and he tried to hold his wife and child above water in the sea, but he couldn't for long, and they both drowned, the child and the, and the, the wife. And that son, his heart became hardened, and he was depro, and then he started drinking too much. And he was a Christian, and he, was, he turned to alcohol in a backslidden state, and his father also prayed for him and wrote letters to to help uh, try and bring him back to the Lord. And for four years, that son was in a backslidden state, 
but he repented. And he said to his dad, thank you for those letters. That's what helped him to come back to the Lord. So it is possible, even if your child has turned far away from the Lord, to come back, to turn back to the Lord. And then also thank the Lord for your trial. It's not easy to go through trials, but say to the Lord, thank you for using this suffering of a rebellious child, for using this trial to purify me and to make me more like Christ and to shape my character that you will work this together for my good. And then thank the Lord that He has loved you. The Lord loved you. When did God love you? Johan, when did God love you? When you became saved, when you became a a righteous man. He, before you were born, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, says Romans chapter 5. So God doesn't treat you, oh, you must deserve my love. Please don't do that to a rebellious child. You must deserve my love. God loved you when you were a rebel. He loved me when I was a rebel. You and I, we must love those children even when they are rebellious. Now, sometimes... Sometimes that means you go to the police. That's what we find in Deuteronomy 21, verse 18 to 21. You have a rebellious child, the parents discipline him, he won't listen, then the government steps in. So if your child is a rebel and he becomes involved in crime, becomes involved in drugs, or he becomes uh, a child that, that threatens your life, you go to the police because you love that child. And it's for his own good, and it's for your good, and it's for the good of society that you go to the police. Because if you do nothing, you are showing you hate the child. Like Proverbs 13 verse 24 says, if you spare the rod, if you will not discipline your child, it's because you hate that child. Because what's going to happen is your negligence, your neglect, if you do not do anything about that, it's going to... Keep that child on the wrong road. And he'll just continue on the way of destruction and lose his life and lose his soul. And I know of two cases like that where children rebelled and they landed in jail and the parents just bailed them out. And both of those children went on on the way. They kept on on the way of destruction. Both of those kids died. All right, let me close by asking this. Online or right here, is there a rebellious child here? You're rebellious, you are still bitter. Maybe you're 60 years old, you're still bitter against your parents for what they did to you. Is there a parent here tonight? You know, I wasn't a good parent. And I didn't do what God asks, asked of me. I was the cause. I was the one pushing the buttons. And caused my, provoked my child to anger. And that's why they're rebellious today. Let me say this to you. God can forgive you. God can forgive your sin. And God will forgive your sin. If you turn to Him. And God can restore broken relationships. That's what course read to us about the prodigal son. Prodigal isn't a good word. It means he's a rebel and he's loose living. Drink and alcohol and sex, prostitutes. Um, so he was a prodigal son and he came back to his father and he was forgiven and the relationship was restored. And you know who that son in the story is? 
We have met the enemy, and he is us. We are that son. We are that boy. We went far from God, and God brought us back. We came back to the Lord. We are restored. We are forgiven. And why are we forgiven? Because the perfect son, Jesus Christ, took the punishment for our sin. And now we are free in Christ. We are forgiven. And let me ask you then, if the death of Jesus is enough to save millions and millions and hundreds of millions and billions of people, is the death of Jesus on the cross not enough to save your rebellious child and to turn them into a new creature? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, yes, this, not everyone here is parents, a parent of a child or uh, parents with young children or parents of rebellious children. Oh, but all of us, Lord, we confess, all of us have rebelled against you. And yet your mercy is great. Your mercy is free. Your love is abundant. Showers and showers of blessing and love and grace and forgiveness to all those who come to you in faith. Thank you for our salvation. And I pray for those with hurt and pain tonight that you would ease the wounds. Though the situation may not change immediately, I pray that you would wipe the tears from their eyes and as we sing, whisper courage in their ears and encouragement that you are with them and you will keep them and guide them. And though some of those children may be far from home and far from you, we know you can bring them back and restore them and give them eternal salvation through your Son. And we pray that you would do so indeed and hear the prayers and the heartbroken cries of these parents and save their children. In Jesus' name, amen.